Lord, you are good and your plans are perfect. Your will for our lives and for this world and this universe are redemptive and perfect. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we look into your word today and uh, conform our hearts to remind us of how, how, how you've set things up and how you intend to work them out. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. I have to apologize. The sermon summary is actually, oh, that didn't change either. But if you were to open up your, uh, your uh, programs, you'd see that the title and the sermon summary are from last week. I have to apologize for that. Um, that is completely my fault. Uh, I will... I'll, I'll read you the sermon summary, and I'll encourage you to, uh, to put it in your bulletin at the end. Um, but uh, as, as we, before, we, before we dig into the weeds here, um, in the early 1980s, a new phenomenon was created. Uh, it was, however, popularized and diversified more specifically in the mid-90s, uh, starting in 1996, um, and it was the introduction of, of dedicated news television channels. Before then, they did not exist. And in 1980, there was one, <laughs> only one. Um, and one of the controversies or challenges that any network, any TV network has, but this, this includes also news, is the question, how do we entertain our viewers? How do we keep our viewers watching our channel and not others? And here we are 30, or 40, 30 to 40 years later, and I wanna ask a question about that. Are we any better off? Are we better off with dedicated news channels? And I only ask that because Jesus' parable for, for, for today's day of worship uh, Makes us should make us question kind of one of the results of news news programming. Um, specifically, I I, I want to raise the question because I hear far too often in our church, in other churches, on social media, a constant muttering or complaining or grumbling about everything that's happening in our world today. I hear far more of that then I do reminders to persevere. Reminders of the inevitable triumph of God, culminating in the harvest of the redeemed and the destruction of wickedness. I hear far more often a murmuring of, of, of painful, almost birth pains gestation, but with no end in sight. And don't get me wrong, this is actually not a new trouble or a new, event, new invention because of cable news. But cable news has not been a remedy to our constant complaining. Whether it's OAN, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, BBC, or even a news aggregator like I use, like Google News. If, if what we watch is not calling us to persevere in righteousness and holiness, then it actually may be more pernicious than precious. Pernicious means having a harmful effect, by the way. So, so it may be more pernicious to our souls than precious to our souls. 
I, I, I worry for you, church. I worry for myself, for my kids, for my wife, for this country, for goodness sakes, for this world. I worry for it. But my calling as a Christian is not to worry. My calling as a Christian is to persevere, knowing and trusting in God's inevitable conclusion. And the Bible is full of commandments to persevere, and it's lacking in commandments to worry. It's easy to get bogged down with all the junk that happens. It's even easier to get bogged down when news companies are trying to find things that are wrong and need to be highlighted. Need, of course, is in finger quotes here, the scare quotes, right? It's easy to forget the one who has stretched out the scroll of the beginning from the end, making each day as he sees fit. Or to use the wording from our parable today, from the farmer who has set a day for his harvest, ready to receive the wheat and cast the weeds into the fire, to be burned up forever and ever in fiery wrath. So, without further ado, let's read our parable for today. We're going to be reading verses 24 to 30, and then we're going to be jumping uh, to 36 to 42 because uh, Jesus provides an answer to what it's about. So Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came, uh, came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in, the, in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and, and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now jumping to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Um, all right. Notice how Christians are called good seed. Um, as, the Lord, uh, as the Lord sows his people across his kingdom... Uh, which has kind of a switch there. It means the world, meaning everything that God is king over. You know what God is king over? Everything. God is, God is the ruler of all things. So as he has sown seed in his field, in the world, in his kingdom, uh, the Lord, by sowing this good seed, 
um, seems, to, seems to anticipate that his seed is good. So what does it look like for a Christian to be good seed? I mean, that would make sense if you, if you think of seed that's you know, bad versus seed that's good, right? The weeds versus the good seed. But what does it look like to be a good seed? It looks like several possible things, but I think in recognizing that, that, that God calls it wheat, that he's growing wheat in this field, um, I, think, I think we should probably think that the, the main purpose of good seed is to produce. Make sense? And I don't mean reproduce, I mean produce. Good seed grows up for the purpose of being harvested. So that is what a Christian should be doing, is growing up in the faith, becoming more sanctified, more holy. And, and it should be doing, the Christian should be doing that so that they can be harvested by God at the harvest. Good seed lives a life set apart in the purpose of its planter. Uh, like I said, yesterday we were, we were helping in Lisa's yard. And one of the things that absolutely astonished me, I already know blackberries are invasive. I know they're terrible. I stepped on enough of them to remind myself that they're terrible. The blackberries are, are, are invasive and they usually destroy basically everything they get into. In, our, in the bush, in the parsonage, the one that's out front, there's a single blackberry vine that's growing out. And I know that if I leave that sucker in there, eventually it will kill the bush. Doesn't matter what bush it is, it'll suck all the nutrients out because that's what blackberries do. They're hungry for everything. It'll suck all the nutrients out. It'll kill the bush. But right now, I'm eating its fruit, so I'm not destroying it. But, but, uh, but in Lisa's backyard, she had planted some grapes. And, and the blackberries grew out one way and took over everything, everything that you could see. And the grapes grew up beyond the blackberries and took over that whole roof of the, of, uh, I don't know what you call it, but the, the pergola. The, um, they took over this whole roof. And so you have these blackberries that could only reach so far. And then you had these grapes that were doing exactly what she planted them for, producing fruit. And in some spots, you can actually see a bunch of grapes right here and some blackberries right here. Although the grapes weren't ripe enough to, to try. I, di I, didn't, I didn't do that, but I did eat lots of blackberries. So, <laughs> so uh, but, but it was just incredible. These grapes, Lisa planted, she planted them to grow and, and bear fruit. And here they were bearing fruit, even though they were surrounded in blackberries and ultimately being choked out by them. Good seed lives a life set apart in the purpose of its planter. The purpose of a Christian is to live a holy and dedicated life to the Lord. Mortifying, which is an old-fashioned term that means murdering sin, as it begins to take, take, uh, take root and grow and intermingle in, in our root structures. In the words of the Apostle Peter, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. Good seed does what it's planted for. Good seed is, is, is planted for a singular purpose. And a Christian's purpose, if I'm going to just boil it down to one sentence, is to be holy, to kill, to kill the sin inside of us. And the essence of persevering among weeds, if I can learn anything from those grapes, is, is to remember 
why, why, why we were planted in the first place. It, the, the grapes did the duty of their master, and so you are to do the duty of your master, which is to be holy, for he, for he is holy. Good seed also uh, does not do well to fret over the weeds growing amongst it. What I, again, what I thought was incredible was here's blackberry bushes sprouting up, taking over the same space. If you went down, you could see the bottom of the grapevine, and right next to it is all these blackberries shooting out from right, right where it is. And you know what the grapes did? They grew past the weeds. They just kept on going. They went where they couldn't be touched in some sense, but also they're tapping the root. If the blackberries are not taken, taken care of, that might kill the bush. But the point is that they just, they, they just kept on growing. It would not do well for the grapes to fret over these blackberry bushes, to just grow in amongst them, but instead it's growing despite these weeds that are around it. Therefore, your duty as good seed is not to be panicked about the weeds. Your duty is not to be panicked about the weeds, but to grow into what you were planted as. Christians are the good seed that Jesus has sown into the world, and so we are meant to grow up to be harvested. You are not going to be harvested as anything other than you were planted as. Imagine you planted an apple tree and you're like, yes, I can't wait to have apples. And then what sprouts out of it is a tomato vine. That just won't happen. So be good seed. Raise yourself for the harvest. Now, let's raise the question of what the weeds are, because it's easy to say, oh, the, we the weeds are the wicked, wicked weeds. That's fun. That should be the, that should be the name of a ministry, wicked weeds. Um, but let's raise the question, what are the weeds? According to, to Christ in verse 41, they are, and I quote in verse 41, all causes to sin and all lawbreakers. This means that the weeds that Satan has sown into the world are both the temptations to sin and the unrighteous. You know, one of the deepest struggles that people have dealt with since the fall in Genesis 3 is what happens to the wicked. That good old problem of evil that philosophers have been wrestling with since the, uh, really, philosophers have been wrestling with it since about the 16 to 1700s. That's when that, that question really came about. But, uh, but, but honestly, the issue has been around much longer than philosophers have been dealing with it. Uh, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73, because, uh, because Asaph, or Asaph, it would be Asaph, but we say Asaph, or anyway. So Asaph writes of the wicked in Psalm 73, verses 2 to 5-ish, I think. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. You know, frankly, I would argue that many of us are in the same situation as Asaph. We look at the wicked, we look at the prosperous, 
We, we envy uh, their wealth, maybe their power, maybe their health, or maybe, maybe we envy their, their seeming mental health. Yet the wicked are spiritually rotten and depraved. Read a quote uh, just the other day. Maybe it was just, uh, just yesterday. But somebody, somebody said going to a, a non-Christian counselor is, is like going to the garbage man to ask for a really good recipe. But I, 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 have to, I have to point out that the problem, the problem isn't just the wicked people. The real problem is all the temptations that choke their way into our spiritual lives. Remember how I said it's both the wicked people and the causes to sin? Those temptations that root deep and unseen in our souls, that grow out of our hearts, the ones we try to legitimize, the envy, the pride, the hubris, I love that word, we disguise as wisdom or helpfulness, or even the sexual temptations, the slothfulness, or a lack of zeal we have living for the glory of God, those are weeds too. The wicked, I hate to tell you this, the wicked people in this world are not the main enemy that you and I are called to defeat. No, we are called in Colossians 2 and in Romans 8 to mortify our own sins. These are the things we really should look forward to Christ uprooting at the harvest. The, te- the things that cause us temptation. And trust me, I'm somebody that really struggles to focus. Whether ADD, ADHD, or just, just being, I mean, I'm, I, I really probably do have one of those things because I'm the type of guy that in the middle of doing something forgets what he's doing. Like the other day, the other day I was going to the bank and in planning out my route to the bank, I forgot the bag to take to the bank. <laughs> that is me. That is, that is me in every possible way. And you know what? I wouldn't realize it until I pulled into the parking lot that I hadn't grabbed the bag. Again, that's just me. The things that cause us to sin and our result in, in being sinners, those are what I really look forward to Jesus taking away. Therefore, I want to challenge you not to fear the wicked that have grown up next to you, but fear the wickedness that's growing up inside you. Persevere and continue growing amongst the weeds, not just against the enemies that are around you, but persevere against the overcoming enemy that's inside of you. Your own sin. May we all come to the point where Paul was in Romans 7 at the very end. People who instead of just crying out for the death and removal of the wicked, be those who cry out for the death of our own sin to be removed. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus will deliver you from that body. If you look at the people around you and say, oh man, these people, these rich, wealthy uh, politicians or, or owners of Amazon, which was Bezos, I don't know if it still is, um, 
But if you look at all those people and you say, oh man, I can't be delivered from those bodies of death. Mm -mm. This body of death. This is my problem. It's your problem too. And when, it, when, when we come to that point, only then can we say, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, will I be resurrected from this, this corrupt, stupid, sinful, fleshy body. But how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point of, 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 of despising our own sin and not just getting stuck in all the problems of our time? Well, the final thing I want us to glean from this passage is really what I think is the perseverance to, or I'm sorry, the key to persevering while being surrounded and attacked by weeds. And it's the reminder you find in verses 30 and then also 39 to 43 uh, that, that Christ has set a plan for what he's going to do. That he has a set plan, I apologize. There is an appointed time for the harvest, an end of the age. And, and when it says end, it means completion. Not just, not just the end of one chapter, but the completion, the fulfillment of the age. It's when the good seed has come to its full growth, when it's finally fully ready for harvest. And what happens in verses 41 to 42, Jesus says, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes to sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I realize that many of you have probably heard sermons about how this parable is about the rapture. And I hate to tell you, but it's not. That's not the harvest that Jesus is pointing to. This is the real end, the full end. It's the, it's the completion of, of the age where sin reigns. Because Jesus comes and removes the causes to sin and the sinners and throws them in. He throws them both into the fiery furnace. This is what's attested in Revelation 20, verses 9 to 10, where Satan uh, is, is, is uh, trying to achieve victory with his army over the whole earth, surrounding the encampment of the saints. And instead, fire comes down from heaven and consumes Satan, his demons, and, and his whole deceived army, throwing them into, and I quote, into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This parable is not about rapture theology. It's not. It's about the, the, the final end. Do you know how wonderful it's going to be when I don't have to be tempted? I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being able to glorify God with every bit of me and not be distracted by, by constant, unending interruptions. Because that's, that's what happens. I get interrupted from loving my Lord properly. Now, whether that's me deciding I'm going to go read a couple news articles instead of reading my Bible, which, frankly, I will confess, does happen, or, or, or even, even sit down and read a, a, a theology essay, or, 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 or play video games, or go outside and do something instead of really loving the Lord and focusing on Him. And I'm not saying you can't focus on the Lord while doing any of those things, but for goodness sakes... It, I, 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 I turn those things into idols. I turn them into sins. 
but reminding myself that there's an inevitable day that God has set where all of my causes to sin and all the things that are going to take me away from, from, from focusing on him are removed. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord, taking those things away, letting me see him in all of his beauty and worth for all time. It's the end of that age. But, but even though I don't know the day or hour, it's, it's, it's an inevitable, unshakable, set plan. It's sure. It's going to happen. So friends, as we feel the temptation to be, to, 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 well, feel the temptation to feel defeated in the midst of persecution, in the midst of this wicked world where we're surrounded by weeds and the weeds are even growing up inside of us, we need to remind ourselves of the inevitable conclusion that God will bring, the end of the age, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the gathering of all God's people to see and worship him in absolute delight forever and ever and ever, unending, unceasing delight. We, like Asaf, should not fall prey to discouragement or be confused by the weeds that Satan has sown around us. We should not act hopeless, but we should remind ourselves that there is an end designated for all the weeds around and amongst us. And I know I keep harping on it, but I really want you to get it. I really want to get it. That, that all the bad news in the world should not shake our hope in Christ. God's command, his requirement of you is not to be bogged down, to get stuck in the mud, but to live holy lives, missionally going out for the cause of Christ. The whole of the New Testament is replete with commands, bear one, another bur bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of love. To, to, to uh, be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have an opportunity or have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6, 9 to 10. We are to, by the mercies of God, present our bodies as living sacrifices. Church, I think our sin as a congregation and the sin of American Christianity is, is, is that we grow weary because of the weeds surrounding us. We might pay lip service to the reality of God's inevitable harvest, but then we inevitably forget it. We forget with what sureness and certitude our Lord says in Matthew 13, 30, where he says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather, we gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He who has ears, let him hear our Lord says at the end of Matthew 13, 43. Wicked temptations and wicked people will be eradicated. 
They get their due punishment and they inevitably perish. Back in Psalm 73, Asaph closes his psalm of lament uh, and struggle against the wicked like this. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. Make the Lord God your refuge, not anything else. Whether, whether it's my idol of, 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 of comfort and leisure, whether it's somebody else's idol of firearms, whether it's somebody else's idol of political not unrest, I don't think political rest exists, so I'm just saying not unrest. So whatever, whatever your refuge is, flee it and go to God instead. Live a holy life. Persevere among the weeds. Stop fretting. Stop panicking. We have nothing to fear, for God the harvester will get, will get exactly what he intends to reap. He will complete his plan at the precise moment he intends. Do not fear. Stop fretting. There's too many struggles in this world to fret over, friends. This parable is supposed to be an announcement of judgment against the wicked. But it's also a reminder that, frankly, we're going to be among the weeds until the end of the age. Get used to it. Grow up anyway. Be sanctified. That's the summary of this sermon. Christians are to grow up among the weeds, knowing that one day the Lord will get his harvest. I'll say it again. Christians are to grow among the weeds, knowing that the Lord will get his harvest. Let's pray and sing our last song. Gracious God, you are the harvester. You are the one who has sown the seed. May those of us who are good seed, who are dedicated to loving you and adoring you and, and following you with every bit of our, 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 the fiber of our beings all the days of our lives, may we be encouraged with these words. And God, as the weeds grow up among us, as, the, as the, the weeds grow up around us and inside of us, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to fight, to not grow weary, but to stand, knowing that your triumph is sure. You will get your harvest, Lord. And one day, your righteous will stand in your presence, radiating the glory of our resurrected selves, which is really just a mirror image in a minor way of you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's really hard to not lose hope in this world with all the distractions that surround us, with all the struggles that arise. So pray for the strength to stand firm. Yeah, one of my favorite metal bands, uh, and I, I mean that actually, put, puts this prayer in one of, their, one of their songs. 
As the battle rages on and on, I face the things that put my faith to the test. When fallen angels won't leave me alone, Father, come and lay the demon to rest. When my sword has broken off in my hand, I see the dark futility of my flesh. When I'm about to fall, please help me stand. Pray for the strength to stand among the weeds. Go in peace, saints.